Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, you may have noticed uh, we've been very blessed to have about a dozen or more college students with us over the last few weeks. And you may have noticed none of them are here right now. And um, that's not because I offended them. Uh, it's because this is their uh, crew fall retreat weekend. And so they are all away on that. And um, we, if, if any of them just happen to have their, the live stream open, we just want to say we miss you guys. And uh, we can all uh, be praying that their time away is, um, is really good. So hopefully we'll see them again next week. But just wanted to encourage you to keep them in your prayers. So uh, if you were here last week, you know that we finally finished our series in Galatians. And uh, we're in between sermon series right now. We're going to start a new one soon, but not yet. And as Keith said, uh, what we're going to do in the meantime is we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told. And uh, this is a parable that I think connects well with one of Paul's final commands in Galatians. Uh, the command I'm thinking of is Galatians 6, 9. Uh, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So Paul finished his letter to the Galatians with an exhortation, which was basically, church, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop trying to follow Jesus together. You know, Paul recognized that some people in the Galatian church had grown weary of doing good. And there were good reasons for that. As we talked about, the Galatian church was a mess. Some people probably felt like their attempts to follow Jesus and do good in the world and share the gospel were just falling flat, that they weren't yielding any results. And so Paul offered this encouragement. He said, you know, think of what you're doing like farming, like you're planting seeds. And of course, when you're farming, when you're planting seeds, there are long stretches of time where you're not seeing the results in front of you. Uh, you're just kind of patiently waiting. And he said, don't stop doing what you're doing. Don't stop planting seeds. Don't stop patiently waiting. Trust that if you do not give up, if you keep doing what you're doing, that eventually a harvest will come. Eventually, there will, there will be a yield of good results, a crop, right? And uh, that's how we should think of our lives like we're planting seeds and waiting for the harvest. Now, in the parable that we're going to look at today, Jesus is also going to encourage us to think of our lives like farming, what's going on in our lives. Uh, this is a time where seeds are being planted, and that means that there is potential one day for a beautiful harvest to result. But Jesus is going to say that there are things that we can do that prevent or harm the harvest. Uh, remember, Paul said, we will reap a harvest at the proper time if we don't give up. Right? So there's a condition, if we do not give up. And the same is going to be true in Jesus' parable that we're looking at today. His, his parable helps us to see how the harvest uh, can be damaged or destroyed. So let's look at the parable. Uh, it's called the parable of the four so soils. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8 uh, to follow along. And uh, as you make your way there, I'll say a prayer for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this chance to be together, to study the scriptures, 
Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts up, open our ears up uh, to hear whatever it is and receive whatever it is that you want to say to us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your spirit. And uh, Lord, just put away distractions and help us to attend now to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> amen. All right. Luke 8, starting in uh, verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who hear the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and persevering, produce a crop. So there are four Gospels, meaning four accounts of Jesus' life. And this parable is recorded in, all, in three out of the four. Basically, in all of the Gospels that record Jesus' parables, this one is in there. And not only is it in there, but it is the first parable uh, that is recorded in all three. And that is appropriate because in this parable, Jesus is describing how people are going to respond to his teaching, to his parables. And the metaphor that he uses for the different responses is, of course, four kinds of soil. He says some people are like soil by the path, some people are like rocky soil, some people are like soil surrounded by thorns, and some people, of course, are good soil. And each soil represents a different kind of response to Jesus' teaching, a different kind of response to God's revelation. Now, before we look more closely at these different kinds of soil and what they, re what they represent, there's something I want us to notice. This is a little bit of an aside, but I think it's an important point. Of these four soils, only one produces a crop, right? Only one is good. Now, the parable doesn't indicate to us, like, what proportion of people respond like good soil and what proportion of people are like rocky soil. But it does suggest to us, too, that a lot of people are not good soil. Three out of the four kinds of soil uh, don't bring the seeds to fruition, right? And here's what I think is significant about that. Even when God in the flesh speaks the truth, 
Some people are unwilling to recognize it as the truth. Even when God in the flesh does that. And that means that none of us should expect that if we speak truth, that truth is going to be universally accepted. None of us should ever expect that, right? Anytime a truth is spoken, it will not be universally accepted. Um, if you ever think you have anything of significance to say that is deeply true, uh, you can count on the fact that if enough people hear it, you're going to receive pushback. You're going to receive rejection. You know, sometimes I've noticed I could watch a video on YouTube and I could think this is the most beautiful, true thing, but somebody is going to give it a thumbs down if enough people see it, right? It's just inevitable. Some people are going to react to it by saying, I do not receive this. I do not like it. If God in the flesh could not speak truth in a way that led everyone to say, oh, he's right, then surely you or I are not going to be able to speak truth in a way that's going to lead everyone to say, oh, she's right, or he's right. So, the application here is every time you feel led to speak something that is true, accept the fact that there will be some rejection with that. That comes with the territory. Now, I don't want you to take what I'm saying the wrong way, okay? I'm not encouraging us to be arrogant. I'm not saying that we should say whatever we think is true, and if anyone disagrees, we just assume that, oh, they're the bad soil. Okay? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we just have to recognize that even in those times when we get it right and we speak the truth, there will be disagreement. There will be rejection. It's inevitable. You know, I have sometimes read some articles online where I'm reading it and I'm thinking, this is just so good. This is so well written. I wish that I could arrange words this eloquently and this persuasively, if only I could do that. And then I read the comments, right? And there are a bunch of people completely rejecting the words that I thought were so perfect, right? This is the way it is. No statement, no matter how true, is ever universally accepted. And I think that's why Jesus ends the parable by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It's almost like he's washing his hands of it, like he's recognizing. Not everybody will be able to hear what I'm saying. And that's out of my hands. I have said it, and now it's up to them. Right? I think that's a model that some of us need to learn from. That's an attitude that some of us need to adopt. Speak the truth, speak it lovingly, speak it tactfully, but then recognize some will have ears to hear, some will not. I don't have to argue with everybody that disagrees. You know, I, don't, you know, I don't have to take every criticism personally. I just need to recognize some will be able to hear, some will not. It's outside of my control. If Jesus couldn't convince everyone of the truth, I'm certainly not going to be able to do it either. But on the other hand, I want to emphasize again, we're not supposed to be arrogant. We should recognize that just as other people have the capacity to reject any truth that we speak, we have within ourselves a capacity to reject truth as well. 
right? And we have to be diligent and practice being the good soil where we are willing to receive whatever truth that comes to us, even if it offends our preconceptions or our pride. All right, so that was an aside. Let's get back to the, to the parable. Let's look at the three different kinds of soil. So what is Jesus telling us here? He is saying that we can be exposed to his teaching, but then not be transformed by it in the way that we should. And uh, there are several common culprits that prevent the transformation. The first three kinds of soil are the common culprits. And we could summarize them as the devil, superficiality, and distraction. The devil, superficiality, and distraction. So let's talk a little bit about each one of those. Number one, the devil. Uh, Jesus says, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, of the three culprits, I think this is the hardest one for us to understand practically what Jesus is talking about. Um, one thing we should recognize is that throughout Jesus' ministry, it is very clear that he assumes that there is more to reality than what we can see. Right? There is, there is an unseen realm. And he assumes that in that unseen realm, there are things like angels and demons, and specifically a fallen angel who is uh, named the devil or Satan, who exercises a great deal of control in the world. And um, his ministry is a resistance against these evil unseen forces. So when Jesus says that some people, some soil is influenced a great deal by the devil, uh, he is acknowledging this unseen reality, this unseen force. So we have to remember, there are always forces at work that are trying to lead us away from Christ, lead us away from truth, uh, forces that are trying to keep the seeds that God has planted in our lives from growing and resulting in that harvest. But what does it look like practically when the devil steers, steals away the seeds of the word of God from our hearts. Well, here's one possibility. Uh, the, the word that gets translated as devil here literally means the accuser, okay, which suggests that part of the character of the devil is that he is an accuser. He points his finger at you. And what are the kinds of things that uh, the accuser might say? The accuser might say things like, God could never, ever love you. You're not worth it. You're not valuable. You know, God could never work in you or through you. You're just too far gone. You're too damaged. You've made too many mistakes. You've let too many people down. You've got too much history. Forget it. If you hear those kinds of scripts in your head and you embrace them, you receive them, that kills the seeds of the word of God that have been planted in you, right? Because now they can't grow, right? Because you don't believe they're actually for you. So I think that that's one of the ways, practically, that the devil steals away 
the seed of the word of God from our hearts, this voice that's always accusing us, okay? God doesn't really want you. He doesn't want a relationship with you. Just, this is not for you. So we have to learn to recognize and discern the difference between the voice of the accuser and the voice of God. Now, the voice of God does sometimes convict us of sin, meaning the voice of God will, will make us realize, ooh, there's something in my life I've got to change, something that needs to be transformed. But the voice of God never says, you're worthless, you are beyond hope. Right? The voice of God says, come to me, receive forgiveness, and experience the transformation that comes through Jesus Christ. There's a difference between those two voices. And if we want to be the good soil, we have to learn to discern the difference, reject the voice of the accuser, and embrace the voice of God. All right, let's look at the second culprit, superficiality. Jesus says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the, the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So Jesus is saying here, some people will hear my teaching and they'll think, this is awesome. This is the truth. I love this. They will receive it with joy. But as soon as following Jesus leads to any kind of discomfort or sacrifice, or persecution, or pain, they'll say, mm, I'm not really going to pay attention to that thing that Jesus said. And in some extreme cases, when people feel like following Jesus requires any sort of sacrifice or suffering on their part, they will just reject the faith entirely. And what I want us to recognize is that the temptation to superficiality is real. Um, it, I think it's pretty powerful in the American church. Uh, one Christian author that I appreciate is a guy named Sky Jitani. And a few years ago, he wrote a book called What If Jesus Was Serious? And uh, it's a book all about the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he wrote a book with that title because he noticed that there was a tendency for people in the church to not actually take Jesus's teaching seriously, to, to read the things that Jesus said and say, oh, well, this shows us that God's standard of perfection is really high, and so we need Jesus to save us. That's the whole point of why Jesus gave us this teaching. Now, I agree that none of us can be perfect and that we need Jesus to save us. That is true. But when Jesus teaches, we're supposed to see his teaching as something that is formative for the way that we live our lives, right? It's not just supposed to be something that shows the standard is really high and we can't meet it. It's supposed to be formative for how we live. But of course, if we take Jesus' teaching seriously, that requires some sacrifice on our part. Sometimes it requires some discomfort, right? Because he calls us to do things like turn from anger, love your enemies, Cut out the sources of sin in your life, right? Tell the truth. Stop idolizing money. Stop spending all your time focused on possessions, 
right? Well, a superficial reaction to Jesus would hear, would hear all those uh, teachings and say, well, we don't really have to worry about doing any of that. Right? It's just about believing that Jesus is who he said he was. We don't have to take any of that seriously. And Sky Jatani felt like that mindset had become so strong in the American church that he felt led to write this book with the title, What If Jesus Was Serious? One of the hallmarks of a superficial Christianity is that it's more concerned with belonging to a group than actually doing and following what Jesus said. You know, superficial Christianity is the kind of Christianity where Christian becomes a label that makes you part of a social group, but not a label that actually describes who the Lord of your life is. When we don't actually take Jesus' teaching seriously, the seeds of God's word don't grow up and produce a harvest in our lives. They don't produce a crop, right? Because we don't, we don't think the seeds are that important. And then finally, there's the third culprit, which is distraction. Jesus said, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, if I had to guess, I would say that this is the most pressing danger for us today. Um, it's the danger where you don't necessarily outright just say, oh, I reject Jesus' teaching. But you just spend your whole life completely distracted and focused on anything else other than him. Jesus says, we're too focused, we end up too focused on the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of life. Which is interesting, because that's like saying you're both distracted by the bad things and the good things, right? You're too distracted by trying to avoid pain and by trying to pursue pleasure, both sides of the coin, so that you end up spending all your time not really thinking about what matters most. You know, all of us get the same amount of hours in a day, 24 all of us get the same number of days in a week, seven. And we all have choices to make about how we're going to spend that time that's given to us. And Jesus is saying, be careful, because it is so easy to spend all that time on anything other than me. And, you know, if that was true back in the first century, it's a hundred times more true today, right? Uh, we have invented ways to fritter away our lives on meaningless activities that people in the first century couldn't have even conceived of, right? Now we have Netflix and social media and addictive games on our phones and millions of podcasts that we can listen to at the click of a button. And let me be clear, I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy those things. I mean, if I was, I would be a hypocrite. Um, I... I enjoy all of those things, but I also recognize that sometimes I enjoy them more than I really should, and they take up more of my time than they should. If we're not disciplined, we can end up spending our entire lives 
focused on these sorts of things rather than the word of God that he has sown in our hearts. You know, Jesus said that we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How can we possibly be the salt of the earth and the light of the world if so much of our time is spent just taking in passive entertainment? Something to think about. At the end of your life, if you could see a ledger of how you spent all your time, what would you want it to say? What do you think it should look like? I did a little math, and I checked this multiple times. Somebody can correct me if, if they think I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I got this right. If you spent two hours a day on social media, and you started at 20 years old, and you lived to be 90, then at the end of your life, when you looked at the ledger, it would say that you spent 8.45 years of your waking life on social media. So I'm assuming that you, you sleep for eight hours. And then you get up, and you get on your social media, and you go for 16 hours. You could do it for 8.45 years. That's how much time that is. And you know, in two hours is actually kind of a conservative estimate. So is that what, what you want the ledger of your life uh, to say? What about uh, how much time do you want to say you spent worrying? Jesus actually commands us in the Sermon on the Mount not to worry. What if Jesus was serious? That's one of the things he tells us not to do. Now, I want to recognize some of us actually may have a, um, a disorder that makes it very hard not to be anxious, not to worry. Um, but even if that's us, I still want us to hear Jesus encouraging us, don't worry, don't worry. He says, you know, which of you by worrying can add an hour to your life? It's true. Worrying can't add an hour to your life. It can, in a sense, take away an hour of your life, right? Because that's time spent worrying that you could have been doing something else. And if you could see how much time you spent worrying at the end of your life, it could be a pretty, pretty big chunk of that ledger. You know, we can spend so much of our lives focused on money, focused on uh, acquiring wealth and maintaining wealth focused on things rather than, than people. And Jesus is just saying, he's imploring us, you know, don't let your life pass you by without attending to God, without attending to my words and putting them into practice. Let the word of God work in you. Let the spirit of God work in you. Listen for his voice. And when you hear, respond. Make time in your life for spiritual disciplines. And if you do, your life will yield a beautiful harvest. Maybe you can't see it right now, but trust. If you persevere, if you don't give up, there will be a harvest. But at the same time, you've got to remember, if you're not careful, the distractions of life will choke the seeds that God has planted in you and kill them, and then they won't bear fruit. And then lastly, of course, there's the good kind of soil, right? This is the kind of person who listens for God and who responds to God. This is the kind of person who doesn't just listen to the voice of, of the accuser, but has learned to discern the difference between the voice of the accuser and the voice of the Lord. 
This is the kind of person who is intentional with the life that they've been given, who makes space for spiritual disciplines. This is the kind of person who bears the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I really believe this is the kind of person that with God's help, we can be. And we're never going to be it perfectly. Of course not. We all need grace. We're all going to make mistakes. But we can still be good soil. We can still hear the word of God, put it into practice, and have our lives yield a harvest. As I was preparing this message, I remembered a story from a book I read shortly after I graduated from college called Blue Like Jazz. Has anyone ever read Blue Like Jazz? Well, um, not a lot, which is good. So this won't just be uh, something you guys have heard before. Um, it's by a guy named Donald Miller. And uh, when he was about 30 years old, he audited some college classes at a place called Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Uh, very, very progressive liberal campus. Um, not a place where Christianity had a good reputation at all in uh, 2003 when he, he wrote this. Um, and uh, he tells the story in here about a woman he met at Reed uh, named Penny. And uh, Penny was born to a hippie drug commune. And uh, she had a hard life. Her, her mom um, slid into paranoid schizophrenia when she was, before she was even a teenager. And that led to her parents getting divorced. And her mom ended up living on the streets, unwilling to receive any help. Um, and she came to read as a non-Christian, probably atheist person. And uh, she had a Christian roommate who was a very good friend to her, uh, very kind, listened to her story, and um, would also talk openly about how her faith in Christ helped her in her own life. And at one point, she invited Penny to study the book of Matthew with her. So they started reading through the book together. And uh, this is what she says. She says they came to the parable of the soils. She says, we got to the part of the book where Jesus started talking about soil. There's a part in Matthew. Of course, it's also in Luke and in Mark as well. There's a part in Matthew where Jesus talks about soil. And he's going to throw some seed on the soil. And some of the seed is going to grow because the soil is good. And some of the seed isn't because it fell on rock or the soil that wasn't as good. And when I heard that, Don, everything in me leaped up. And I wanted so bad to be the good soil. That's all I wanted, to be the good soil. I was like, Jesus, please let me be the good soil. I think that is a beautiful example of the kind of response Jesus wants us to have to the parable. He knows it's not the response that everyone's going to have, but that's the right response. Jesus, I want to be the good soil. If you feel that spark of desire this morning that says, I want that, okay, I want to encourage you, fan that flame. Don't let it die out. You know, ask God to show you what are the steps that I need to take to move away from believing the, the accuser, to move away from superficial Christianity, 
to move away from the things that distract me, eat up all my time, keep me from growing these seeds that have been planted. If we feel that desire to be the good soil, God honors that, that desire. I really believe he does. God will work with that. And he did with Penny. So the rest of the story is too good not to share. Um, listen to uh, Don recount the rest of this. He says... <clears throat> uh, later that month, it was in December, there was a raging party going on downstairs in the dorm. And I was pretty drunk and high, you know, and I wasn't feeling too well. So I started up the stairs to see if my friend Naomi was in her room, and she wasn't. So I went down to my room and sort of crashed on the floor. I just sort of lay there for a little while, and then it happened. Now you have to promise to believe me. Promise what? Penny stopped walking and put her hands in her coat pockets. Okay, but I'm not crazy. She took a deep breath. I heard God speak to me. Speak to you, I questioned. Yes. What did he say? He said, Penny, I have a better life for you. Not only now, but forever. When Penny said this, she put her hand over her mouth as if that would stop her from crying. Really, I said. God said that to you. Yes, Penny talked through her hand. Do you believe me? I guess. It doesn't matter whether you believe me or not, Penny started walking again. That is what happened, Don. It was crazy. God said it. I got really freaked out about it, you know. I thought maybe it was the drugs. But I knew at the same time it wasn't the drugs. Penny put her hand on her forehead and smiled, shaking her head. I should read you my journal from that night. It was like, oh my God, God talked to me. I am having this trippy God thing right now. God is talking to me. I kept asking him to say it again, but he wouldn't. I guess it's because I heard him the first time, you know. Yeah, probably. So is that when you became a Christian, the night God talked to you? No. You didn't become a Christian even after God talked to you? No. Why? I was drunk and high, Don. You should be sober when you make important decisions. That's a good point, I agreed. But I still thought she was crazy. So what happened next? Well, Penny started. A couple of nights later, I got on my knees and said I didn't want to be like this anymore. I wanted to be good, you know? I wanted God to help me care about other people because that's all I wanted to do, but I wasn't any good at it. I had already come to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus was God. I don't know how I came to that conclusion. It wasn't like doing math. It was something entirely different, but I knew it. I knew inside that he was God. But this time I just prayed and asked God to forgive me, and that is when I became a Christian. It's pretty simple. Penny put her hands back in her pockets, looked at me with her gorgeous blue eyes. There, she said, are you happy? And with that last comment, she stuck her tongue out and laughed. God honored Penny's desire to be the good soil. And he will honor your desire to be the good soil as well. So let him work in you. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be the good soil. We don't, we don't want to waste our lives on the wrong things. 
We don't want to get distracted by the voice of the accuser. We don't want something superficial. We want something genuine. And so, Lord, we just invite you to keep sowing the seed of your word in our hearts. We ask you to help us to receive it, to cultivate it, and may you grow it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.